passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I've kind of gotten sick and tired of dealing with you guys two-on-one, and since I know you're going to have the Scottish psychopath in your corner at SummerSlam, I ought to have a lunatic in mine. It's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Welcome to Rewind a Rock. It's John Pollock here alongside waiting, and tonight we are not chatting about the G1. How are you doing, Way? Doing good, doing good. I have to admit, it feels like I have uh, less of a reason to wake up in the mornings now, bright and early at like uh, 6 a.m. without this G1. Yeah, when I woke up this morning at 6.05 a.m., uh, it felt very weird not to have to watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I thought- it, was, it was just because a baby was crying. Yeah. That was why I got up. You kind of have a, have a different reason than the G1. Yeah. Maybe I need one of those. Maybe that's what I should be doing. A child? Yeah. Just just yeah, to go. give me a reason to wake up in the morning. Okay. Uh, circle back to us and let us know how that goes. I'll let you know next we, week. Sure. We could do a podcast together. <laughs> the, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, TJ DeSantis started a podcast. It's called the uh, the Dad Pod. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's a good name. Yeah, uh, Damien Abraham sounds like he also has a similar idea, but I don't want to spoil that for him. That's just a teaser. Oh, okay. Well, then, we have a, we have a lot to discuss. Uh, we are going to be going into all of the news from today, of course, uh, centered around the passing of Jim Neidhart. Um, but off the top, I just wanted to uh, thank all the people that have checked out our G1 coverage uh, that we just completed on Sunday. And now we're right on to we're, we're like the WWE where we did the a big big pay per view and now it's it's on to the next thing way and it's SummerSlam week and we have lots of stuff coming up this week, including a chance for a listener of Up Next to go to Takeover on Saturday night. Uh, Braden Harrington and Davey Portman, uh, through a listener, have uh, secured a single ticket to Takeover uh, to sit with one of our uh, forum members. So tune in to Up Next this Thursday. And if you're in New York, they are not going to fly you in there. They're not even going to drive you in there. Uh, you're going to have to get there. Uh, but there is a single ticket that is up for grabs 
on Thursday on Up Next. Maybe Wei can go. I'd love to. Um, I don't think I can make it though. But I, I are you kidding me to go to that show? I, I this, this card is going to be so good on Saturday. I, it's like it, it. I would almost be willing to take that trip, like from Toronto. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that kind of dovetails into our coverage this week. We have all our regular shows, and then uh, going into this weekend on the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, of course, we will have the double shot coming up. Let's go in order here. We're going to have Rewind to SmackDown out on Tuesday night, followed by the double shot for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. On this week's show, of course, we'll have Being the Elite. I am going to get everyone up to date on Lucha Underground because there was some more greatness this week. Oh, I and can't wait. My first book review. Which book? I'm going to be reviewing the, the Nitro book by Guy Evans on the history of WCW. Uh, this fascinating book so i have uh taken many meticulous notes so that will be coming up tuesday night the first ever book report on the double shot for members of the cafe then on thursday it is up next and your chance to go watch takeover with Braden and davy davy will actually be at the arena Braden will not and then on friday way it is the return of rewind away that's right we'll be reviewing wcw bash at the beach 1998 a show I've not even thought about starting yet, but uh, I probably should. Maybe that's my reason to wake up tomorrow at 6 a.m. And then Saturday, we've got a new episode of Eggshells that will be out with the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Chris Charlton, who is going to be joined this week by the voice of the world, Nate Milton. And they're going to be chatting about the Tokyo Dome cards from 1997. Saturday night. It's going to be myself and Braden Harrington doing a takeover post show, and we'll be joined by Davey Portman, who will be at the Barclays Center. And Wade ret- returns on Sunday night for a big SummerSlam review. It's a packed, packed week, Way. Yeah, packed. Yeah, we don't slow down around here, and this is the way we like it. All right. I've gotten about 85 text messages from Braden about this, this contest. It's going to be a Twitter contest. Tune in Thursday. Your chance to win a takeover ticket. I hope I have, I cannot read all of this that Brayden has sent me. There is just too much. It's probably the most he's ever typed in his life. But let us get into uh, the news. And we'll start uh, at the top with the passing of Jim Neidhart. A uh, very unfortunate story happening uh, early Monday morning uh, where he suffered a fall in his home in Florida. And they called 911. And it's believed that he suffered a seizure. Of course, Jim Neidhart has been suffering from Alzheimer's disease as well. He was 63 years old. Uh, he was pronounced dead shortly afterwards, and then a word got out uh, very quickly about his passing. So that's kind of been the focus of the day. Um, and, you know, Jim Neidhart was uh, somebody that's, a, you know, a character that everybody familiar with, uh, with the Heart Foundation connection. I think in Canada, you just instantly associate him uh, with that group, with Bret Hart, uh, someone that got his wrestling start in Stampede, went to a number of promotions, including uh, Continental, Florida, Mid-South, and then, of course, getting the big jump to the World Wrestling Federation in 1985 and then eventually uh, paired with Brett. Now, were you watching Way when they were still a team or was that kind of before your your time viewing WWF? It was before my time, unfortunately. By the time I started watching, was which was probably about like 90, 91 uh, he had already left the, the company, but I was around for his second stint with them uh, when he sided with Owen and feuded with Brett. Yeah, so uh, just in going back and, and looking up 
uh, a bunch of just notes on his career. An interesting story that uh, both Brett and Tom Billington tell in their books was when the Hart Foundation won their first set of tag titles in 1987, the circumstances behind this, the Bulldogs were the tag champions, and Tom Billington, he was uh, health-wise a mess as they they did this match in Hamilton where Tom Billington had had to be hospitalized afterwards. His back was so messed up. He had uh, two issues with, with uh, the discs in his back, and they had to get the titles off him. So they they get him down to Tampa. And the, originally, the idea was, I think, that Vince McMahon wanted Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik to win the titles. And Billington insisted that the Hart Foundation was the only team he was losing to. And if you've ever seen this match, and you can find it on YouTube, Davey Boy Smith literally has to hold up Tom Billington to get down the aisle and then they do an attack so that Billington can be just laid out on the floor and Davy Boy does the whole match, drops the titles, and Billington outlines in his story that after all of that, just finally getting himself to the ring to be beaten, they paid him $25 to drop the tag titles. But that was the Hart Foundation's first uh, tag title win. And uh, Jim Neidhart had... A number of stints with the WWF, uh, he was fired several times. Uh, one of them being uh, when they had when they had broken off Brett to become a, a singles wrestler in '91. They were trying to come up with new ideas for Jim Neidhart. He was wrestling uh, on shows just by himself. They tried him out as an announcer, that didn't really work. So then they went and paired him with Owen Hart as the new foundation, and that lasted under two months. Uh, because as the story went, uh, Jim Neidhart, they were doing a drug test on one night, and Jim Neidhart avoided getting uh, a, a, giving a urine sample the whole night. And then the next night, they showed up, and they were just upset with Jim Neidhart, and that was one of his many uh, times he was let go uh, by the WWF. But he came back numerous times, uh, including uh, the pairing with Owen Hart when he was doing the big heel run. Uh, he came back as who that everybody has tried to forget a really terrible character idea. And then of course the, the 97 run with the heart foundation that I would say along with the original heart foundation run, the 97 one is probably what uh, more modern fans remember him the most at just because of how hot that Canada USA feud was. Certainly. Yeah. I think a very pivotal angle that led right into the attitude era. Yeah, he was there uh, right up until Montreal, and if you remember, right after the Survivor Series, they did that angle on television with him where DX pretended to have Jim Neidhart join the group, and then China low-blowed him, and I think they did a match the following week, and on their on his way out, they spray-painted WCW on his back, and that's where he went afterwards. A pretty, pretty forgettable run in WCW in 98. Didn't last very long. And him and Davey Boy Smith really never caught on going to WCW for the that stint at that particular time. And, you know, for myself, I, I have two funny stories about Jim Neidhart. Number one, it's not that funny, but the Jim Neidhart uh, new foundation uh, version where he had those wacky pants that was the first wrestling action figure I ever got as a birthday present. It was Jim Neidhart wow. with these crazy blue pants and the like checkered, uh, you know, little deal on his on his boots. What was that? The other was one, that a Hasbro or a LJN? 
Uh, it was it was one of those like smaller plastic figures. I don't even know what the, it wasn't. Um, Hasbro. I think Hasbro probably. Yeah. But the other one was like, I guess as a kid, you always have these weird things you think of that are just always ingrained in your head. But for me, when I was eight years old and seeing this guy who was paired with Bret Hart and I knew of the fact that this guy had married into the Hart family and I thought, man, like I know so many women that will hyphenate their last name to include their maiden name. What a progressive dude that he took his wife's name and I had just assumed as a child <laughs> that he was Jim Nide and when he married Ellie – he just took on the heart name. I I always thought that was such a an interesting coincidence that here yeah. here this man you know is is a part of the Hart Foundation with his brother in law Brett the Hitman Hart and his last name also has the name Hart in it. Yes, very convenient. But of course, uh, the young John Pollock was was mistaken. Yes. So uh, Jim Neidhart, I mean, someone that had. Lots of drug issues over his life, had gone through uh, rehab, had a really big arrest in 2010 for uh, a number of substances he was found with. I mean, he, he was someone that you know went through a lot of problems. And I mean, you could probably speak to it a bit better way mm -hmm. of, you know, he was, I, I won't say uh, prominently featured on Total Divas, but he would always be popping up on that show. That's where I guess you would have seen him the most over these last five years or so was just popping up there. Um, yeah. Especially the, the year when uh, Tyson and Natalia had the wedding season. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I believe like one of Anvil's first appearances on total divas was uh, of Natty trying to get him to go to rehab, WWE sponsored rehab. And uh, they didn't shy away from presenting that side of him at all, but subsequent appearances showed that, you know, the man had uh, been clean and, just he just kind of more played like the uh, goofy kind of aloof father to Natalia, and he was incredibly entertaining in that role. And it appeared that he had some like just a, a wonderful relationship with his daughter, probably all of his daughters. But we only get to see him with Natty and of course TJ. And you know, uh, it's incredibly sad when you think about it because they they just seem like they have a had a wonderful personal relationship. Yeah, it's. You know, it, it's always awful when you lose a family member. But this one, you know, given all the problems he has gone through, it was this just seemed like it was something just completely unexpected. It's not like he had been ill for some time and this was uh, an inevitable outcome. This kind of just um, occurred just out, out of left field this morning. So uh, very unfortunate. And uh, we'll, we'll get into the WWE's uh uh, tribute video they put together for him and, and how they handled it on the show. Uh, the other story, this is, this is several days old, but Way and I haven't had a chance to speak about it yet on a show, uh, was the lawsuit that's been filed by Colt Cabana against CM Punk. And it's, I, I guess this one, not, not completely shocking. I think that most people can see a lot of hints that, towards the fact that Cabana and Punk do not have the, the friendship they once had. Um, I mean, I, I was a little shocked because coming off of that Amon um, uh, trial, it seemed like the two were on the same side and it seemed like Punk was happy in interviews that his friend Cole Cabana got, a, got away from all this stuff. So it seemed to me like the two were being cordial with each other, at least after the trial ended. 
Oh, they they were very cordial at the trial, like even joking together. And mm-hmm. I mean, they, they hardly seemed like uh, bitter enemies at that trial. Um, you're right. And they were very polite with one another and speaking about each other in interviews afterwards. So this goes back. Uh, Cabana is filing uh, for, I, I guess we should go from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that podcast occurs in November of 2014. The following month is when... Uh, Dr. Amon's uh, legal team contacts Cabana uh, with a demand letter that they want the podcast taken down and for a retraction to be put out by Cabana. He goes to Punk and informs him about this, and Punk allegedly says that, you know, his lawyer's on it, his lawyer's going to take care of this, and in their conversation, Punk said, you'll be 100% covered. So a lot of people have kind of just focused on you know, oh, it was just a text message. But in fact, they proceeded forward with this lawsuit with Cabana involved. And in March of 2015, they signed a an agreement together with the the legal firm that was representing Punk and by extension representing Cabana. So they had this this legal document signed that included the, the whole arrangement by the legal team, which is uh, this this firm called uh, Loeb and Loeb. And the lawyer was uh, Sonny Brenner. And in that, um, this is part of the exhibits that uh, David Bixen, David Bixenspan has posted all of these exhibits. If you want to go check his Twitter, uh, he's got links to all of it. But it includes the fact that uh, Cabana will – his legal fees, uh, it will be punk that is billed for all of the legal fees. And so they had a an agreement in place. Yes. That's in early 2015. Mm-hmm. We fast forward a year. And now you you also have to remember this is uh, Cabana is the one that filed this lawsuit, so this is very much from his side of things. And there's going to be a lot of gaps that we don't know. Mm-hmm. We go to April of 2016. Clearly, these two have had some kind of a falling out. And mm-hmm. Punk sent the following message to Cabana that to date I've spent five hundred thirteen thousand seven hundred thirty six dollars on this Amon lawsuit. My outstanding current bill is at least three hundred k. Half of all this is yours. Divide the 513-736 by two, and that's what you owe me and what I expect you to pay me. Starting now, I will no longer be paying your bills. You are on your own. Whatever my bill is currently will be cut in half, and half will be yours. If you choose to make this all ugly, that's fine too. I hope you won't, but I gave up on you doing what is right a long time ago. So a pretty pretty aggressive letter here from Punk. Um, And what has caused that, that's... Pure speculation, and I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Clearly a, a big shift in tone from agreeing to pay somebody or back somebody 100% financially to that letter uh, and a lot of time in between that. So I'm sure those details would come up and, uh, you know, it's it's a rather unfortunate scenario for everybody involved. But I would say, I mean, man, Cabana clearly not doing this because he wants to, but, you know, it seems like the man... Um, I'm cheering for him the most, like in in all this stuff. Not to say anybody's doing anything wrong, but I know that Cabana doesn't make the same amount of money that CM Punk does, and all this stuff we've seen personally has been really weighing on him for years now. So um, I don't know if there's going to be any happy resolution that comes out of this. It it's just an incredibly shitty scenario, I think, for everybody involved. Yeah, we're talking about an extraordinary amount of legal fees. This was in 2016. 
that's two years before they actually got to the trial that they were at over yeah. half a million dollars in legal fees. Yeah. Another detail that I think is important to note that is that some people were asking, why didn't they just sue, you know, Chris Amon to pay those legal fees? And apparently there is some technicality that prevents defamation lawsuits in Illinois from yes. uh, seeking punitive damages. Which, I don't know. I, I look at this from a, a much broader sense that, let me just say, like, if I was a massive company that could withstand a several-year legal battle, and I really wanted to stick it to someone, like, the end verdict here was that Cabana should not have been part of this case, and they were not found guilty in all of this. But yet, they're saddled with these legal fees, which, if the intent of the uh, of the person filing the lawsuit is just to handicap and harm the defense, mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just some other details here. So that was in early 2016. And then after that was when uh, Cabana reacting to this, he was going to go seek out his own legal representation because he's still in the midst of this. Um, Whatever went on in Punk's legal camp, they wanted to retain Cabana. They wanted him to pay the legal bills, which Cabana was not going to do. He had signed this agreement and was not going to agree to pay it. So the lawyer, Sonny Brenner, said, we will continue to represent you and we'll cover the legal fees, providing that you don't have any kind of conflict working with Bill Brooks, with CM Punk. And Cabana agreed, so he continued in 2016 to be represented by the same firm. Then in March of 2017, the same legal firm, they told Cabana, we are no longer representing you. So Cabana is now out in the cold, essentially. And I, I don't want to paint Cabana in like j- just the completely sympathetic light because we only have one side of this yes. as well. Yes. But nonetheless, Cabana is without legal representation. That's where he brings on Carrie Stein, who is the lawyer that ended up representing him. And that was for the final, uh, I would guess, 15 months until the trial. So those legal fees he had to incur during that period that's what they went to Bill Punk for after the trial verdict, and they are not willing to pay that. So Cabana's argument is that if if you were not going to cover my legal fees, I never would have entered this lawsuit. I would have I would have taken down the show. I wouldn't have I would have just uh, listened to the demand letter, and I would never would have been in this mess. Now you could argue Punk's side would maybe be incentivized for Cabana not to do that. Do you want the host to? Um, put out a retraction and take down, does that hurt his case? Maybe they thought it did. Maybe in hindsight, it it wouldn't have mattered at all. This was a deal between Amon and Punk, and Cabana never should have been in the midst of it to begin with. So you could certainly argue that for Cabana's own sake, um, he probably never should have been a part of this to begin with. And his reasoning for doing it, whether it was his best friend that he was uh, fighting this battle with, uh, whether it was just standing up for his show that he felt I'm not going to uh, denounce this and, and step down from this, this legal fight, which I feel is unjust. Um, those are all uh, Cabana's internal reasons that we don't exactly know of, but uh, so in short, Cabana is seeking uh, $200,000 in general damages, which would be those legal fees um, incurred along with punitive and exemplary damages of a million dollars. Hmm. All right. Yeah, it's going to get ugly. It's incredibly sad when you go back and listen to that show and that this podcast has 
you know, dis- destroyed a friendship. And when you look at who has been harmed the most, even though they were found innocent in all this, it's Punk and Cabana that have endured the the stress of this. Mm-hmm. This is years. It's it, this is almost four years yeah. that has been dedicated to this, and now it may go longer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so those are uh, our news and notes for uh, the night. Uh, for more, of course, you can always go to postwrestling.com for all your latest news. And we start off now with Raw, our go-home show heading into SummerSlam in Greensboro, North Carolina. Did you enjoy this crowd as much as I did tonight? I love this crowd. I love this they crowd. Were great. I love this crowd as much as they seem to love this edition of Raw. Man, this crowd was just they were just so excited to be there. They elevated a number of segments. I just thought a great crowd at the Greensboro Coliseum, the home of Starcade 83, many of the early editions of Starcade from this arena. Starts off with Ronda Rousey coming out after Michael Cole welcomes everyone to the show. And then we go on camera with Cole and Graves, who welcome in Renee Young, who is calling this show uh, with Jonathan Coachman on assignment. Uh, I guess we could talk about her now. Uh, How did you feel Renee Young came off on this first episode of Raw from start to finish? I thought she did a job that didn't make me notice her all that much. And I I agree. And I think that, is a good job if you're a, a commentator um already like i don't even need to make the comparisons to coach because there really is no question who is the better per- fit for this role like renee is just she 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 sounds uh very smooth as a broadcaster um she she's very knowledgeable of all the storylines and and of all the motivations of all the characters and i really do think she's just She's a wonderful fit in this commentary team, so uh, a, a big improvement. I thought there were times where she felt, um, she felt like she was being heavily produced, like what you and I w- will sometimes joke as being like the video game commentary, where it's just this this line that came out. I didn't think she felt uncomfortable, but also I've seen her in roles where she just seems way more comfortable than this. Like this very much felt like it was her first time doing this show. Uh, She laid out a lot. um, And that's not to say she did bad. I think that it was uh, to your point, it was at times you didn't even notice her at all, which Mm -hmm. was fine, which I can't say for some of the other commentators they've had. Yeah. I thought for her first show though, I I thought she did, you know, a very good job for a three hour edition of the show. And I think that if we went back and she did this for the next 10 weeks, you would see a noticeably different Renee Young on week 10 than week one. It, it makes the rest of the team better too, especially a Corey Graves who tends to have antagonistic relationships with all the other color commentators they've had, whether it be, you know, Byron or Booker or coach. Uh, he doesn't have that relationship with Renee or for whatever reason, he's not as willing to quote unquote jump on Renee's points. It's they do have like some friendly debate. I think overall it makes the team better. So the show begins, Ronda Rousey comes out. This audience went nuts for Rousey. They're chanting her name. Overly, and- like, positive. And, like, sometimes I, I think, it, like, I hear this and it makes me take a step back and think about how she was perceived at the beginning. And, you know, she she's always received, like, the, 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 the ovation of a superstar. But there was always, I think, a little bit of resentment from some portions of the audience that saw her as an outsider. 
None of that exists right now. So this, I'll explain, this had to have been extremely difficult for Rousey. She Mm -hmm. comes out and this crowd is going nuts for her and she has to deliver, I believe, was probably the most difficult uh, speaking role she has had to do in a a long, long time. This was just a lot of responsibility to give to somebody so new, like Ronda. Yeah, and... Okay, well, first of all, she notes Jim Neidhart's passing, and the place just goes quiet. They realize the the seriousness of this message, and she notes how all of our fathers are pillars of strength, and that it's our fathers that have been raising us to be those pillars of strength when they are no longer around, and tells uh, Natalia to stay strong. The crowd started chanting, Natty. Now, I would think for anyone that has to deliver this, it would be... Very, uh, very emotional to do so. Mm-hmm. For Ronda Rousey, uh, if you're not aware, her father committed suicide when she was eight years old, mm-hmm. and it devastated her. To this day, she, I think it was the first time she fought Liz Carmouche uh, in her UFC debut, and I think that it was maybe the countdown show, and I might have the fight wrong, where she was interviewed about her father, and it was it was part of the promotion leading into it where she did open up about her father. And she said after that, that she never wanted to talk about him and make it as though she's like selling something, mm-hmm. just using this story and never wanted to talk about it publicly again. And she talks about it in her book uh, very heavily. Like it was a life altering uh, event in mm-hmm. her life as an eight year old and her father who had broken his back and was just in a horrible uh, health crisis at that time uh, committing suicide so on top of that she is like legitimately good friends with natalia so i cannot imagine how difficult this was for her in many ways this was to me the um uh, the most um i'll guess i'll say uh, emotional message that she's had to deliver um i would include mma as well i was really moved by this and i thought it took a lot for her to be able to be the one that had to deliver this message at the start of the show in giving her this responsibility, I wonder if, you know, the WWE really knew her history, like like you just, you know, lined out for all of us here. It Again, it was just an incredible amount of responsibility to give to somebody like a Ronda Rousey, who we all know, speaking in front of a live audience, isn't exactly her strength in professional wrestling. But she came out here and, man, had to deliver essentially a eulogy for Jim Neidhart, the first thing on this edition of Raw. I thought she did so great. Her words, her facial expressions, everything. I don't even, I, I hesitate to even call it any type of performance because it, 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 I knew it was from the heart. It felt that way. It felt completely genuine. So, man, like, it, it, not an easy task and, you know, very proud of her. Yeah, I just thought they, they started the show off just in such a classy way mm-hmm. as well. Um, so then, and this isn't even a criticism. It's just that she suddenly had to go into Ronda Rousey pro wrestler mode. And that was very difficult. And that's um, a skill, too, to be able to change subject, for, to go from this very serious thing into, all right, let's get get down to business. Like, she she did this like a pro, like somebody who, who, who knew exactly what they were doing here. And, like, all throughout this initial segment, she really came across to me like a face of this company. Yeah, it's a great point. She states that she's going to defend Natalia because Alexa Bliss cheated to beat her. And this Sunday, she's going to beat Alexa to become the champion. 
and then introduces the woman who's going to face Alexa tonight, the Sheenom, Ember Moon. And the original match was going to be Natalia and Alexa Bliss tonight. Obviously, Natalia um, being sent home and not at Raw on mm-hmm. Monday night. Then Alexa comes out with Alicia Fox, who was dressed up as a tree, uh, also wearing half of her jacket. She had it on one arm and not wearing it on the other. I didn't know what I was looking at here. Well, I mean, her arm was injured. She had it bandaged from the uh, arm bar. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. That's, that's true. Okay. Well, that part makes sense. What about the tree? Alicia Fox. Maybe she took so many throws, she got planted last week. And now mm. she's, uh, she's serving as a... Groot. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, Alexa just rags on the fans that think she doesn't have a chance on Sunday. Calls Rousey a spoiled brat who's overrated and an overhyped rookie. SummerSlam is going to be her humiliation, mocks Ronda's angry face, and says that Kurt Angle is protecting Roman Reigns for the main event, yet sending me out to be around you, who attacks everybody. So Alexa has spoken with Baron Corbin, and Corbin suggested that she hire her own security, and out come the indie police. And as they're on their way to the ring, Corey asks, why is Alicia Fox dressed as Kale? No one had a good answer. Nope. Bliss then cheap-shotted Rousey, and security blocks her. They form a wall, and then Rousey just starts picking them off one by one and just throws them all over the place. There's one last guy who just runs for the hills, and then she goes after Alicia. Uh, And (laughs) the best part uh, was the end of this, where she sent her tree hat falling off and then tossed her to the floor. Oh, that's sad for that tree hat. I'd like to see it come back. Oh, yeah. This was just watching that hat. And then the culmination of the segment was it getting knocked off by Rhonda was just extra added heat. This whole thing was so awesome. I think they're doing such a great job with Rhonda. Uh, to me, like just setting up this this indie police for Rhonda to take care of it. It had the energy to me of an Attitude Era opening program with either Steve Austin or, or The Rock. Uh, I also thought Alexa killed it here. She was so great, so smooth and angry. With her villainous delivery. So uh, I came out of this talking segment at least. Feeling like it was the first time in a while. That we've seen a really strong heel. Go up against a very strong baby face. In the Raw women's division. Like Raw started and ended. With some pretty strong segments I thought. Mm -hmm. We just had to go through the middle. So the match is Alexa Bliss Ember Moon. And we get a SummerSlam commercial. Heavily promoting SummerSlam all night long. Uh, Moon hit this dive to Bliss on the floor. Uh, They come back. They went through several commercial breaks. Picked up when Fox was on the apron and gets yanked down and thrown into the barricade by Ronda. Bliss then attacks Ronda from behind, throwing her into the barricade. And then Moon hits a spinning gut buster, climbs to the top. She's about to hit the eclipse and does. And then Alicia was supposed to break this up, but barely touched her. And the DQ is called. She attacks Ember with a big boot. And then Rousey throws Fox around more times, sending her to the floor. And the audience loved this. They just treated Ronda Rousey as a superstar, as though she was um, uh, Ricky Steamboat in 1983. I really enjoyed this. I mean, the match, I think, was what it was. But I thought it was actually pretty decent. You know, I'm a big fan of Ember Moon. I, I would say, you know, if Natalia didn't already have that role, 
I think Ember would have made a perfect, you know, second to Ronda that would eventually lead up to a, a feud between the two. Um, I, I, the DQ, I really didn't mind. I mean, I think it, Alexa looked good in it. Um, and it, it seemed like a logical conclusion because you wouldn't want to beat Alexa heading into SummerSlam. I really enjoyed that little moment where Alexa looked at Ronda when she had uh, Ember in like a chin lock and Alexa blew a kiss at Ronda. Ronda catches the kiss, throws it down and stomps on it. I love stuff like that. It, it feels like so old school and to me, it totally connected. Uh, and again, like, I don't know how much of that, how, any of this is choreographed with, with Ronda, but she's playing it off like she's been doing this for a very long time. So I continue to be very impressed. And the beatdown that she continues to give up, man, like her, I, I'm happy if I get to see Ronda beat up Alicia Fox once a week. Because, man, those beautiful throws, her <laughs> judo looks so damn impressive in a pro wrestling context. And that's, you know, because wrestling is cooperative. She can now show her flashiest judo moves that we never got to see in MMA. So I'm very excited about seeing more of it in her in-ring future. So I, I, I enjoyed this whole 45 minutes of Raw. Some of those throws, I'm just so concerned Alicia's going to, like, just land on her shoulder the wrong way. Um, I don't she know just if you can flies. really help. I don't know, know if you can really help where you land with some of those. Oh, that's what I'm saying is that yeah. she's just, you know, just being thrown into into orbit with these these throws. I don't know how much she really does uh, protect her landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be rough because they look rough. And I mean, to that point, I feel like Ronda's judo offense looks more legitimate than the majority of uh, anybody in this company. Then we had a promo for SmackDown. They really didn't promote too much other than Jeff Hardy's back. And there's going to be a segment with Charlotte, Becky, and Carmella in the ring together. They plugged uh, the official announcement of the 1,000th episode of SmackDown for October the 16th. Uh, Michael Cole notes all the stars that got their start on SmackDown, including Brock Lesnar, who, if you know your history, technically started on Raw. Yeah. And then was drafted to Raw like two weeks later. They recap Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar's problems over the past few weeks, and then they aired the unaired portion of the interview from last week, which they put on the website last week about Paul Heyman catching himself when he was asked how Roman could beat Brock Lesnar. Heyman says there's no way he can unless, but then he catches himself, takes the mic off, walks off the set, and they re-aired the video, and they had Renee interject overtop her own interview to alert us that coming up, this is the part we didn't see last week. It's like, we we got it. I think we're all understanding what this segment was pitched as. And I, I don't exactly know what brought this on because it's, it's unusual for them to save such a significant moment of an interview for the following week, especially if it was only this short. So I wonder if like maybe they cut away from it too soon last week because there was that noticeable gap between the talking. No, I'm sure it was just last week they felt let's just let's just throw this as something on the internet. And I think that this week, I mean, it was clearly designed they really wanted to hit you with the possibility of Heyman joining Roman what? with with that being the story of the the segment tonight. Why put something so significant up on the internet when only a portion of your audience will see it? To me, like I, it felt like that was the major takeaway of that interview segment. I think last week more people took it as a possible 
scenario than if they had aired it last week as is. And I think that would have been most people's tip off that they're not going that direction. I think the way they did it, there were people thinking maybe they are going to actually turn him because of the way they presented it. Maybe that's just like a good save in my books, because I, I, to me, I just look, look read this like it's such an unusual um, presentation for the WWE. But yeah, you could be right. Kurt Angle is with Baron Corbin, and he doesn't appreciate Baron going over his head and making matches tonight for himself and Finn Balor with unknown opponents. And then Ziggler and Drew McIntyre walked in, and tonight... They are supposed to do the contract signing with Ziggler and Seth Rollins, but Seth is having travel issues because he was on a PR tour in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Which way is your is your brother maybe going to go to the show September first? Shanghai. I highly doubt it. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. This this is the WWE uh, how they're countering all in in China. They're going to be running that card. I wonder how much interest there is in all in in China. Um. I guess they can order it on pay-per-view. Probably Online, won't, probably won't go head-to-head because of the time. No, no, probably not. So you can watch them both if you're in that part of the world. Is that a, a network special or just a house show? It's just a house show. Oh, okay. Uh, but John Cena's on it. He's apparently going to debut a new move. Against Kevin Owens. Uh, yeah, he, he's been teasing. Like in that video, he teased a new move that he's been working on in, I believe he was, he's with the Jackie Chan stunt team. So... I look forward to that. What's he going to do that that might be Jackie Chan stunt team inspired? Oh, man. He should be really doing it in Brooklyn this week, then. If you want to truly do a something in in honor. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Great movie. That would be great. The the Cena-Owens match, that's going to be on the Australia show in October. The um, stadium event. He's not facing Owens in China. I think they've only announced that Cena's on that China card and okay. that the Owens match is the one. By the way, that weekend way, there's the Super Showdown card from Australia that's going to be airing at, on Saturday at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. That night is the Conor McGregor-Habib Nurmagomedov fight. And then Monday is King of Pro Wrestling. Yep. That's uh, a... We, we, we kind of... We got to get used to those. It's a big weekend. Mm-hmm. Baron Corbin came out. His mystery opponent that he has hand-selected is Tyler Breeze. Corbin uh, is... First of all, Corbin came out and made his entrance, and then they cut to break. So the hook to stay tuned was Baron Corbin is coming up next. Well, yeah. This was a big demand on their behalf. Breeze sent Corbin to the floor. Then he was sent into the barricade. There was actually a let's go Corbin, Corbin sucks chant. That's a first. He stomped down Breeze. Breeze crashed on the floor, missing with a Piscato. And then in the ring, Baron Corbin hit the deep six, the move he never beats anyone with. But tonight was the exception. He pinned him in 413, and Tyler Breeze lost. Well, at least it wasn't a squash. Um but I think the idea was that Corbin booked himself into a relatively easy match with Tyler Breeze. I think Corbin's matches are still as uninteresting as ever, but I do appreciate him, some of his heel work that he does outside of the wrestling. Him bragging after this match saying, I am good, I think is a very funny heel thing to do. That was a good line. I specifically wrote it. It goes, wow, I am good. Uh, 
he previews what he's going to do to Finn Balor, and or he said that was a preview. And now it's time for Balor to show what he can do, and his opponent is going to be Jinder Mahal. So Mahal comes out with Sunil Singh, and then Corbin makes it a handicap match, adding Kevin Owens to the match. But before it can begin, Kurt Angle's out, and he says he can't, he can't cancel the match, but he can add to it, so it's going to be a tag match, and Balor's partner is Braun Strowman. So our tag match began. They are discussing Jinder's meditation techniques, and Renee does not attend meditation classes, but she has an app for meditating. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the same app? No, um, but I've got an appetite for one of these meditation apps. I would definitely try this. I recommend the Insight Timer. Oh, do you have one of these? Yeah, there are is lots it a of free them. app. Yes, oh, okay. the Insight Timer is very good. All right, uh, they double team Balor. Big tag to Braun. Owens just fleed and tagged in Mahal, and Owens is hiding in the crowd. Braun decimates Mahal, uh, including a double team spot where he scoop slam Balor on top of Jinder. Owens then trip Balor to prevent a dive, and then he's chased away by Braun right into the the center on the floor. So Balor takes out both with dives. Uh, we come back, and Balor sends Mahal to the floor, who's selling for a bit, gets cut off by Owens, and Braun then runs around on the floor. He destroys Owens with a shoulder block and then just lifts and sends Sunil into the guardrail. Audience loved this. These two just flew for Braun. And then he caught Mahal with a power slam for the victory, and it ended with Braun chasing Kevin Owens to the back and Corbin sneaking from behind to hit the end of days. And telling Balor, you still suck. Mm-hmm. This was a very long Raw match that I actually quite enjoyed. I thought it was really helped by a great crowd and how much they love both babyfaces and Braun and Balor here. Braun felt like a major star to this audience, and Balor played a wonderful babyface in peril all match. So, you know, again, Cor- Corbin I- in ring... I'm still not all that excited by it, but as a heel, I think he, he got a really good reaction here with this audience. Um, I can't say I'm still all, all that excited for any of these matches at SummerSlam, but I thought from a technical standpoint, these segments were successful. No, I'm with you on those two. Uh, Balor and Corbin, I just have no interest in. Mm-hmm. The zero tease of the demon, nor would I waste it on this program yeah. for Sunday. Uh, with Braun and Owens, while... While the match doesn't really jump out at me, I think everyone's intrigue of whether they will be involved in the main event is kind of their interest level for SummerSlam, is whoever has the briefcase being a potential audible for a cash-in at the end of the night. You think So you think Owens actually has a chance? Mm. Uh, yeah, there's a possibility. You could do something heinous where he somehow... Because remember, he can he can win it off a off a countout. He can win it off a DQ. There are ways you can beat Braun without beating him. If your desire is to get the briefcase to Owens, which I don't see as being likely, but it's possible. It's likely, I suppose. I don't see it happening though. Kurt's on the phone. Hey Seth, it is Kurt again. Please call me back. Ziggler and Drew are back. They're looking for an update on Rollins, and they think he's scared from the beating they gave last week. And Ziggler says how beating up Seth has done wonders for our brand. And they state that if Rollins doesn't show up, then he can't sign the contract, and therefore the match won't be official. And 
Ziegler wants to take a look at the contract and make sure nothing's been hidden in there. So this is how contracts work way in the WWE. They have a, I guess, six-day minimum if you're on Raw. They have to, I guess, go through so many channels after Raw that you couldn't sign it Tuesday or Wednesday. And have they never heard of electronic signatures? Uh, for a contract, I, is is that legal? A hundred percent, it's legal. Oh, okay. Can't can't that easily be forged though? Uh, your electronic signature. Uh, I mean, yeah. you you should protect it. Um, but no, it's completely legally binding, especially for a pro wrestling match. No one is going to um steal a match from you and impersonate you. Uh, you don't know Baron Corbin then? Who knows what he that man could be up to? I guess that's possible. In some ways, this was one of my highlights of Raw. We come back from break, and we just get Seth Rollins minus any inflection in his voice, any personality. He's got to do this generic read for a Subway ad. And then we see him seated next to a meatball sub on this like professional-looking set as he's talking about how extremely challenging it is to make it as a WWE superstar. And he's trying to speak seriously about his career achievements while he's sitting next to this giant meatball sub. Please oh, tell me you watched this. I completely missed this. I'm sorry. To oh, say. I'm sure it'll air a hundred more times. So I hope I haven't overstated it, but Seth Rollins was so weird in this ad and wow. it was just a weird ad to begin with. He's talking to the meatball sub. No, he's just talking with it right there. Like, mm-hmm. there is nothing subliminal about this at all. Like, hey, I'm talking about myself. Mm-hmm. This is a sub. Buy this sub because we're sponsored by Subway for this segment that has nothing to do with sandwiches other than there's one here. The, the meatball is a good choice, I think. I'm always hesitant about, you know, a meatball sub. I, I have a big Good. thing with with Subway. I got I got awful food poisoning there once, and I'm always a, a little leery of of ordering anything ambitious at a Subway. What are you a Quiznos guy? I love Quiznos. There's oh. very few of them in the city anymore. Mm-hmm. There's one not too far. I've actually uh, just rediscovered it in the last like two weeks. Yeah, Dufferin King. Yeah, absolutely. Ricky Roberts is in the ring, our uh, Rock and Roll Express reference. And he's dressed up as a country singer with a guitar. And he says his favorite musician is Elias, who got a pretty positive reaction from Greensboro. He says he can't play this guitar yet, this guitar. But one day he's going to be in the Country Music Hall of Fame. And then he's interrupted on cue by Elias, who comes out, plugs the WWE shop, and says that Ricky could impress him if he beats and humiliates Bobby Lashley tonight and then mentions that I've sold out WrestleMania. I've sold out Madison square garden several times. Fuck you indies. And mentions his album being on top of the charts and Saturday night, he is performing a live concert at the Gramercy theater in New York at 5 PM. Wow. I think it'll do well. Uh, you know what? I thought the same thing. This is the this is the as far as you're pushing wrestling fans. What will they buy? And they'll buy this. They will go to this. I and think I 
Yeah, it'll be fun. Like, he gets oh. a ton of heat for these live performances. There's no way you would want to sit through two hours of him. There's well, no way. No, I, I certainly if, if all he is going to play are exact renditions of what I heard on that terrible, terrible album, then I, I would pay not to go. But from what I gather, he it, when he's live, he does a lot more, uh, you know, improv. He does a lot more playing around with the crowd, and that to me is is his talent. That's that's the stuff I would be willing to pay pay for. Two hours of it, I wonder if if at what point it will get old. I don't expect him to play for two hours, but for an hour, uh, if you're there with other wrestling fans, I think it could be a fun time. I I, I totally understand why people would have a good time. It would just be the last thing on earth I would want to do. Some would you know, say that about Aqua. Well, there's idiots out there, so <laughs> that's, that's understandable. He notes the resolve of the Greensboro people to live in this pile of garbage, and then he's interrupted by Lashley. Graves jokes that Ricky Roberts might have been conceived in one of the armories around here in the 80s, which is pretty funny. Lashley gets on the mic and says, we already have a no-talent clown in Elias and then accepts the challenge of Ricky Roberts, who proceeds to smash his guitar over the back of Lashley, who no-sells it, spinebuster delivered to Ricky Roberts, and Lashley's music plays. I assume this isn't the last we're going to see of Ricky Roberts. At least I hope not, because I think, <sighs> I think Elias is, needs a roadie character, and I think this Ricky Roberts dude... I mean, being given a big speaking role on, the, on this edition of Raw, I think he would make a wonderful addition to his entourage. So uh, they continue to really entertain me, like Elias. So much so that, I mean, Lashley continuously coming out to cut him off really does not earn any babyface uh, reaction to doing it. Like, in fact, I think the crowd is more often disappointed when Lashley cuts him off because Elias is so much more entertaining than Lashley is. So, you know, here... The, the dude got hit with, like, a guitar shot in the back. And I feel like you should have at least had Lashley get the pin, if not deliver more than just a spine buster. Because I think it, it ne- wasn't nearly impressive or severe enough. And it just wasn't enough to make Lashley look like a strong baby face against a heel as likable as Elias. Yeah, I just feel there's a plethora of these feuds going on on Raw at the moment that... I'm fine with them as throwaway segments on Raw. I I was really glad they didn't announce this for SummerSlam, although I'm half expecting it for Sunday. You're, you're going to get a segment, I, I would assume. You've got to do something with Elias, and maybe that should be it, is that he does a concert and Lashley interrupts. Maybe you have a celebrity. That would be the celebrity involvement segment, where mm. hopefully Lashley gets uh, something out of that. I have a big problem at the moment with Bobby Lashley because this is like three weeks in a row now where Bobby comes out and no matter what he's doing, I've got Rock and Robin in my head <laughs> for the whole time. And that's what I think of now with Bobby Lashley. And it's him singing it. It's not the original. I think Lashley really needs to make an appearance at the Gramercy Theater for this concert <sighs> with his that own would... guitar. That would That would get me to go out for sure. Maybe that's all they do this weekend. They'll show highlights of it at SummerSlam because yeah. this card is it is full. Well, like like it or not, if not this Sunday, we're, we are going to get this match at some point. Oh, we'll get a hundred of them yeah. at some point. Do you know what the match total is so far for SummerSlam? Do you want to take a guess? Twelve? Thirteen matches so wow. far. Okay. 
And there could be more. Yep, that's a lot. There very well be more. We'll uh, do a preview tomorrow. Yes, Tuesday night after SmackDown, we will preview the show on Sunday. Bo Dallas was crunching numbers over their odds to win the three-way. This this was custom written for me. Uh, The math promo? Yeah, he said that he's crunched the numbers. He's contacted uh, mathematicians. Scott Steiner, they, probably. They have a 33.3% chance of winning this triple threat. That's how these matches work. It's a coin flip. You all have an equal chance to win. Yeah. How, do odds makers ever, like... Like in, in Vegas, ever talk about three ways? Uh, no, but if they did, it wouldn't be a pick 'em for three, just because there's three people and they all have an equal chance to win. Yeah, it's like the, it's it's the same reason that uh, if Conor McGregor were to fight me, he would not have a fifty percent chance of winning. Yeah, yeah, unless you were just as skilled as Conor McGregor. Oh, I was going to say he would have a lower chance of beating me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe that's what they mean here. Maybe they just consider all three of these teams equally skilled. They're they're completely equal. Mm-hmm. So equal that one team isn't going to make it to SummerSlam. We had a mile 22 promo, and Mark Wahlberg had a message for the WWE Universe about why they should watch his movie. Uh, he didn't convince me, and Rhonda, they stated, really got to show her dramatic ability, which it's funny because when this movie started... And when her acting career began, she was getting a lot of criticism that she was not taking to it. And I watched her in on this show and many episodes, and her acting per WWE standards is outstanding. I think it depends on the subject matter. Like, Ronda's yes. had a lot of misses on, on, on her WWE run, too. Today was an exception because I think she spoke from the heart. But in delivering lines... Uh, for a character that's not her, it's a bit of a different challenge. The B team versus Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt versus the revival for the raw tag titles. Hardy starts attacking Wilder. He hit a side effect. And then in a strange moment, he just yells, I'm V one. Hmm. And Graves said he just had a flashback. I, I don't think that they're, like, Matt Hardy very well could have done this on his own. This totally felt like just a... I don't know. What Did you read this as a mistake or premeditated? No. I have no idea what's really going on with Matt Hardy. We should mention that this man has revealed in a tweet um, several... I think a week ago or something like that, that his lower back and pelvis have started to fuse together as a result of doing the le- diving leg drop for so many years. So... He's also been posting other very cryptic tweets that are, I think, meant to lead us to believe that he might be ending his in-ring career soon. So uh, I don't know exactly what's going on. Maybe this is just sort of a, hey, uh, remember when I used to do this? Let's look back at my career type of thing for with him shouting V1. I'm not exactly sure, but there's something going on, I think, with Matt Hardy. When his contract is up and he, call, and he calls you up and says, hey, Wei Ting, uh, what should I do? What, what do you think I should do? I'm... I'm uh, I've got a renewal on the on the table from WWE. It's good money. It's I'm on the road a lot. My back is fusing into my pelvis. Uh, what would you suggest I do? Uh, superplex from the uh, post to the floor. <laughs> it's like, well, well, you're a lot of help. Thanks a lot, Way. 
Um, That's what he did on this. In this, I match. know, I know. Um, Dawson made a blind tag, and they hit the heart attack, which the announcers did call as the uh, the tribute for Jim Neidhart. Uh, Dawson hit an atomic drop into a leg drop on Wilder. I thought the revival looked really good in this, mm. and I thought Bray looked good too. He got this hot tag, and he hit Urinagi's all around. Uh, and then Dawson did a top rope sunset flip onto Bray, who German suplexed Axel. Wilder goes for a suicide dive, gets caught by Bray, who hits him on the edge of the apron with a urinagi. This is when Hardy stops Dawson on the top and hits a superplex to the floor. Crowd was into this. And then Bray teases a double sister Abigail to the revival. It's blocked. They hit the shatter machine onto Bray, but then Axel sends him to the floor and steals the pin on Bray. This felt like a match that these guys had mapped out for SummerSlam, and we're told, eh, we're actually going to do it at Raw. And I-, I thought, you know, the majority here all worked pretty well. I, th- I like this tag match. I didn't think it was a bad match in the least. Yeah, uh, maybe one of the better efforts of this combination. To me, though, I think it's the fact that this division is just so flat, and what these teams are fighting for is really not that interesting to me. I, in fact, like I feel like the drama for me in this match while watching it is the tease that Matt Hardy could be retiring soon. So, I mean, I like him doing that superplex to the floor, him taking any type of semi-risky bump is a bit more interesting to me now in the same way that, uh, you know, a Daniel Bryan match is a bit more interesting to me now because he, he seems so fragile. So I don't know what exactly Matt Hardy is building up towards, but I think they should run with that, you know, the fact that his pelvis is fusing with his back, uh, uh, you know, fact on, on, on their programming and tease that, Hey, this could be his final run Do the Ric Flair thing where he goes for one more run at the tag belt before retiring. I think it would make his current run and a lot of his matches far more interesting. I don't know. I, I think that the, not, not that it's a bad idea. Just, I feel that Matt Hardy, they've, they've kind of closed the door on what they're going to do with him. I think they see him at a certain level and they're not going to go above that. Um, you don't have to. He doesn't have to win. You could fail at the end of it. Yeah. And why have him wrestle matches at all if you're not going to do something interesting with him? I I just think he would be one of those guys that would really thrive in the the current incarnation of Impact and be doing a a reduced schedule and be able to just pick his shots. Like, he got this this little year and a half, two-year run out of WWE and... I just don't know how much more is, is left there. Like, yes, it's it's good money working in the WWE. It's great exposure. Um, but the trade-off being you're on the road every single weekend, uh, what your health status is, and and you're in a very minor role on the show. And I think the cards have kind of been played, that this is kind of the extent of where they're going with the, the broken character. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he would go back to Impact right now. I mean, certainly I don't see Jeff doing that. No, no, I don't see Jeff um, being one to leave at the moment. But Matt, I don't know. It's maybe maybe they're happy. They're they're back here. They they're gonna retire here. It could be. Roman Reigns is walking backstage. The B team they celebrate their victory, and then Angle is texting when Ziggler and McIntyre return, and they bring up a clause they have discovered in the contract that Seth Rollins is allowed to have someone in his corner. Angle says, "Well." Yeah, you have been outnumbering him, and I can remove that clause, but then Drew can't be in your corner, which was a a clever way to give a a reason that they could find this clause and not want it removed. And Ziggler says, it doesn't matter if Seth 
doesn't uh, show up tonight anyway. The match is going to be called off. I would love to see one of these contracts just to see like all these little details that I think we <laughs> we take for granted. Like especially also, a New Japan contract, you know. So size uh, thirty six font yeah. bold with a giant JPEG, and that's the contract, I and then you sign. That. But a New yeah. Japan contract, I think, would list. Yeah, yeah. Everybody is allowed uh, fifteen chair shots on the floor. Uh, you're allowed to have somebody come in with you. In fact, you're allowed to have uh, five guys come in for you. And uh, we're not necessarily going to call a DQ until they specifically hit you in this one spot in your back. Yeah. So if anyone has a G1 contract out there, please please let us know. Roman Reigns comes out for the start of the third hour and. He talks about a saying he lives by, leave this place better than I found it. It's it's what he tells himself every day. It's what he thinks about when he's uh when he's uh when he's got to clean the yard, when it's when it uh rains outside, when there's, you know, bad weather. I bet he has a great Airbnb rating. <laughs> he says that it's ve- it can't accomplish this goal when Brock Lesnar's here. It's time for him to go. He's sick of hearing about him. He's sick of people talking about him. It ends this Sunday. He's going to send Brock so far into the UFC, he'll find his head stuck in Dana White's ass. I love it. I think the only thing I would have loved more is to see Dana White's reaction to hearing that line. Was this the one-time way you wanted your uh, Photoshop angle? Oh my God! Yes, please, please. It's been uh, a while since they've done the Photoshop deal. Warren Isles, please get out there. Give me a <laughs> pixel art version of this. No, oh don't, my God! Don't do it. Don't do it. Yes, I think I'm going to dress up as my image for Halloween. Scare, <laughs> scare everybody. <laughs> pixel art is not that flattering for most people. You look fine. Oh, man, <laughs> Myself, I look like uh, I look like Chunk from the Goonies. <laughs> It's on uh it's on our Instagram everybody. Yes, go check it out. Paul Heyman comes out and he quotes the new day. He says, "It's a new day." Yes it is. And he calls the Usos the future of the WWE's tag division. And speaking of the future of a division, he's laying eyes on the next champion. And instead of waiting for this Sunday to make history, he can make history tonight. And he explains his line when he said unless to Renee. He said unless you have Paul Heyman tell him all of Brock Lesnar's dirty secrets because he thinks he can beat Lesnar. But if Heyman is with him, he will know he can beat Brock Lesnar. Reigns comes back saying, I beat Brock Lesnar in Saudi Arabia. I don't need any of this. I kind of have issue with Roman continually bragging about that win as if it was legitimate. Like, I don't think a hero would be proud of winning by that technicality. Didn't Chael Sonnen do this after the, the Anderson Silva loss, the first one? He just claimed, he's like, I won. He, he Exactly. Well, he didn't even win. Like, at least Roman mm, has some claim. But again, like, yeah, Chael is not a baby face, right? So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not really for Roman continually bragging about that Saudi Arabia win. Reigns said that he was groomed for this position from a young age. His father taught him how to swim with sharks but also to watch out for the sharks that are drowning because they are dangerous too. That's one of those lines that, that like I'll never hear for uh, like at all in real life, but I thought it was awesome. I I thought it provided a great visual and like perfectly kind of explained exactly what, what he was trying to say. Okay. Serious question here. Can a shark drown? 
<laughs> that is another very good point. <laughs> I guess if a shark can't swim, is that maybe a better? It could drown in in oxygen. I suppose I don't know. <laughs> I was just kind of stumped by this analogy here. Okay, if a shark had no fins, it would drown, would not, or it would sink. I suppose it would sink, but would yeah. it, it? Would it? It's not going to lose consciousness. Uh, anyway, eventually it would. I I'm not exactly sure how fish work. Sorry, I barely know how humans work. He said that Heyman is drowning and he's not worth it and wishes Paul the best in his future endeavors. So Heyman brings up riding in the car with Afa and his father Sika when he was a teenager and he speaks uh, uh, in Samoan to Roman and yells at him that your father taught me this. I thought you were going to give us the Samoan in your recap. Come on. I was about to. And <laughs> hands. He hands him this agreement in principle to give his answer. Uh, now, before we get to the angle at the end, uh, where he's, he's handed over this piece of paper, I thought what was really missing in this was some explanation, some context between Paul Heyman and his connection with Afa and Sika. It was brought up during... If you remember that Raw, the night after the Rumble, it was 2015, the one where they were snowed out and they did these sit-down interviews, and Paul Heyman explained his history with, uh, with the Samoan family and going back to being a teenager and how he's linked to Roman and his family. I feel if you were just watching this, you'd be very confused at how is Heyman connected to any of these people that I think you were taking a lot for granted in this of what the connection is. And I feel just a little bit of more setup uh, could have benefited this promo a bit more. Perhaps. Yeah. I guess it didn't really bother me so much. Cause uh, I suppose I knowing that Paul Heyman has had a very storied career in professional wrestling. I could assume that he would have crossed paths with Afa and Sika at some point in his career. Um, like it, it wasn't enough to take me out of this. I thought him speaking Samoan was just awesome. Like and and the look on Roman's face, it looked as if like Heyman had suddenly like read the Winter Soldier co codes to him. Like the dude was stunned. So I thought all that was great. So then, Paul Heyman hands him a piece of paper, and he says, "Roman, are you a fan of Puff Daddy?" Roman looked up and said, "What did you just say?" Because I was a fan of Mace, and he oh, just nailed God. him in the. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> Man, that's good... Oh, yeah, dude, the, that the... drowning with sharks line. You should be writing this show, John. Oh, so the bad, bad boy, Paul Heyman, Mace reigns in the face. Um, I I don't even know why, but I laughed. I laughed when he did this. Like this just felt like so at a left field from the tone of this promo and how serious it was. And he's speaking Samoan. And then he just maces him in the face. So Roman is blind. And then Brock's music plays. And Brock walks out and he's smiling. He hands the title to Heyman. And then he beats the hell out of Roman. He knees him. He guillotines him. He goes up the ramp. He comes back for an F5. <laughs> this man who's been maced and beaten to death is laying dead on the ground as the crowd chants one more time. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a massacre. For this reaction on Sunday. Just awful. As much. They've put so much work into this. And it's all going to be for not. Two minutes into this match on Sunday. But that said. Uh, I, I thought the attack was. Uh, came off well. 
I thought this was a wonderful segment. Like, I did not read comedy into this at all. Maybe you're just a sick man, John Pollock, laughing at it, it was just, It was just the last thing I was expecting was Heyman to start macing the guy and just over and over again. Okay, it was but, just, if not, but if not mace, John, how else is Paul Heyman supposed to get the advantage over Roman Reigns? I, I'm not even criticizing it. I was just, that was my knee-jerk reaction to this. It was just completely unexpected. You're just, you're just sick. You're just sick. No sympathy at all here for Roman. Anyway, I thought this was great. Like everything they did here, Paul Heyman's performance, he has really been amazing several weeks in a row now. And this was no different. I think, you know, as soon as uh, Heyman did that line last week, I think we, as soon as they started doing the, you know, the crying angle, I think we all expected this to be a trick from Paul Heyman. But I didn't know that he was going to do the serve swerve this week instead of at SummerSlam. And I, I feel maybe doing the swerve this week as opposed to Sunday was probably kind of their last attempt at trying to build sympathy for Roman ahead of the match. I would have said it worked, but man, this crowd started chanting one more time. And that's where I feel like they made the mistake. I think having Brock go out there to do, to do that F5 was a bit of a babyface move. And if they just stopped with the guillotine, which was also interesting, by the way, because I don't recall him using it too much. Like, he's kind of more known for that Kimura or, like, the the, the Brock Lock or something. So, uh, they're at least introducing that for the match. But anyway, I feel like they went a little bit far with doing the F5, and it kind of, in the end, backfired on them. I was I was kind of hesitant to see them kind of just blow off the Lesnar-Heyman tease here. Uh, I'm with you. I think that for both the storyline and for the actual scenario on Sunday, like, here you had... Roman takes this piece of paper and he's seriously looking at this piece of paper Mm -hmm. that if you leave, like as the character, Paul Heyman, why would you blow it? Like this guy might actually buy into this on Sunday and then you screw him on top of that. If you go off the air and it's this big mystery, is Heyman going to join reigns? Uh, does that at all alter the audience on Sunday because they feel maybe we're actually getting the turn tonight? Maybe we are actually going to have Heyman linked with Roman Reigns. Or people could have just thought it's way too much of a red herring that they're throwing out here, and it's so obviously not going to end in that situation. The mystery would have been really nice. Like I'm almost kind of gutted that we'll never know what Paul Heyman wrote on that piece of paper. It's almost just a, sort of an unsatisfying conclusion to, to this this whole thing. Um, but I, I do feel like, let's say Paul, Paul did the turn on Sunday. I feel like that's just more fuel for this audience to turn on Roman. Like that's a baby face move. Don't you think like a badass? Hey, we cheated this guy that the whole building hates anyway, but now it's silly. You've maced the guy. It makes silly. Are you saying for reigns to join Heyman? No, no. I'm saying if they ended up doing this reveal, on Sunday instead of this week. Oh, I, I you and I are agreeing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I thought you were saying that now you could do the swerve and Reigns ends up with Heyman at the end of it. I think it would just be ridiculous now after you've done uh, this Mace deal. You know, they are very close to Harlem World, so we could end up seeing Mace. Oh, wow. There you go. Maybe we'll get a live performance with Elias. Yeah. The announcers are on camera reacting to the last segment, and then the bell rings, and there's a match going on in the background. And if I were to ask you randomly, what match was started in the background 
of Michael Cole, Corey Graves, and Renee Young, you'd probably guess, hmm, a six-man with the Authors of Pain and Mojo Rawley against Titus Worldwide and Bobby Roode. You would be correct. This match went two minutes and 45 seconds, one minute of which was dedicated to a picture-in-picture promo for SummerSlam. Uh, They should have just had, like, Brock at five in, like, two more times to take the place of this. I mean, it, it perhaps the last segment ran long. No entrances for these boys, barely a match, no follow-up either. So, you know, these guys were kind of put in the shitty spot and uh, no growth at all for either feud. No. Um, and Mojo sent Titus to the floor and then he ate a glorious DDT and he got beat again by Bobby Roode. Is, so that's the storyline? Like, Roode keeps beating the heel? It sounds like a captivating story. Yeah. Reigns is being checked on by the physicians, and Kurt is looking him over backstage. I'm sure he's fine. Then they go to break and stated, up next will be a Jim Neidhart uh, retrospective look. But before that, we had another... uh, Subway uh, ad? No, we had an even better one. It's for this new shampoo that they are sponsored by, Control GX. And their setup was... The smartest superstar is presented by Control GX. And who is the smartest superstar? Why, Triple H, of course. And then we got the greatest hits of Triple H and why he is so smart. And this shampoo, Control GX, their tagline is the first shampoo with a brain. This is the goofiest I product I have ever heard of in my life. <laughs> Control GX, the first shampoo with a brain. <laughs> my God, the first marketing company without one. Oh my God, I love it. <sighs> this so is we, like this is the type of segment we'll look back on on a future edition of Rewind Away in like twenty years and be like, man, what what was the world thinking? <laughs> Triple H. I mean, he was he was hitting some some great ideas, and then he ran into the the two thousand twenties. Rough decade. The announcers throw to the Jim Neidhart video, and they went through old photos from his shot put days when, I mean, he was an incredible shot putter. I um, had no idea what this dude looked like without a beard. Oh, like they yeah. Showed, they showed some photos of him, and I'm like, where is he? I'm like trying to look for him. Yeah. They go through the Stampede era, Heart Foundation with Brett, um, that awesome pink leather hat that he wore for a time around 1990. That I always thought was really cool. I'll get that for you. Oh. (laughs) And then they come back and Michael Cole, God bless this guy. He says, and who can ever forget the Hart Foundation's classic tag title match at SummerSlam 1990. And the latest version of SummerSlam is coming up this Sunday. Mr. Pivot, Michael Cole. Yeah. Uh... I would say uh, I would give the uh, nod to Ronda in that battle of the uh, subject uh, transitions. It was a very nice video on Jim Neidhart. Very nice. I mean, there's a big portion on, on Natalia, of course. And they even showed like a recent Instagram story or like a some type of selfie video of the two together. Yeah. I didn't expect that. And man, was that like such a punch to the gut. Because again, like it looked like these two had such a beautiful relationship. So it really is just very sad. Yeah. Uh, they announced that the B team will take on the revival on the kickoff show this Sunday as uh, Michael Cole and Corey Graves tripped over each other trying to announce this match. 
And then they went through all 13 matches. I swear to God, this rundown was five minutes. I just couldn't believe it was just, I thought that they were at the end five times. And it was just constantly another match and another match and another match and another match and another match. It's like, oh my God, there are so many matches on Sunday, dude. They need to loop that song like three times, I think. What's, is this Florida? They have Flowrider, and they've got another song as well. They're not well. even they... in Florida. Why would you use Flowrider for New York? Yeah, man, this is this is uh, well for WWE for Kevin Dunn. This is this is, this is P Diddy Town, right? Yeah, this is New York. That's that's about as uh. By the way, there's a four part uh, documentary on um, HBO on demand. I think it came out a while ago called the the Defiant Ones. Yes. Yes. Oh, have you watched it? I haven't. I think it's is. It, oh, it's uh, about Dr. Dre, right? And Jimmy. It's Iveen? about Dr. Dre yeah. and Jimmy Iovine. It mm-hmm. is so good. How I, much have I, you seen? I watched. I watched the first episode a few weeks ago before I moved, and then this weekend I watched the remaining three. They were just great. It's edited so well. They interview everybody. Like I knew how much Interscope comprised like su- such a wide variety of artists. But mm. it's staggering when you're just seeing all the all the musicians that are just on fire at the same time and just kind of the access they had to so many people. Like Eminem is interviewed for this. He sits down. It is so obvious. This guy does not want to do any interviews. But because it's these two figures, he will make time to do an interview for their documentary. It's mm. it, like they interview everybody in this. It's I can't recommend it enough. Cool. Well, uh, another reason to wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, and then you can uh, listen to Burn the House Down by AJR, which is our secondary theme for SummerSlam behind Sweet Sensation by Flo Rida. Okay. Did you also notice that they've got a baseball simulator as the main sponsor? Is that what that is? MLB Tap Sports Baseball 2018. Is that like, like a baseball mogul type of thing? I think so. Or is it an actual game? I think you might be able to actually play it. I'm looking it up now. It's it doesn't have a description of the game. Okay. Produced by the the parent company is Glue Mobile. I've been playing uh, Ken Griffey's Winning Run on the SNES Classic that I purchased. Yes, you picked up a a Super Nintendo. Maybe I shouldn't even have mentioned that because that's not even one of the games that's included. Um, I. How did you uh, get it then? Uh. Well, through means, uh, there there are ways. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. That that game, I miss that game. Wow. Okay. Well, keep us updated. No, not that exciting. Now that the G one's over, I'm about to attack the the eighties. Oh boy! Yes, please. More updates. Final match of the night was Sasha Banks against Ruby Riot. Sasha and Bailey are now known as the Boss and Hug Connection. That's not even clever. No, I'm I'm very not impressed in the blank and blank connection when it comes to wrestling tag team names. Well, unless it's like the rock and roll connection. Mm. At least the rock that the rock and roll connection. Oh, the, the, the rock, rock and wrestling and express. Yeah, yeah, the rock and roll express. How about the rock and sock connection? Maybe that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that one rhymed, so yeah. I'll, I'll I'll at least give them that. It they were able to take two. Uh, distinctive traits or characteristics and make them rhyme. This has nothing. Yeah. This is a, you know, 
given Bailey's losing. This was the boss and the loss connection uh, a year ago. Oh. Yeah. Good. Um, I don't have anything else. Riot, uh, the Riot Squad did a selfie promo. Let's see if their friendship can withstand a riot. So Banks goes to the bank statement. Riot gets to the rope. And then Sasha misses the baseball slide drop kick is nailed into the steps. And then her hand is placed into the side slot of the steps. And Ruby kicks the steps. And they fear she has, brace for it, literally, if you're Juice Robinson, a broken left hand. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. This was a little awkward because, I mean, first of all, I like the spot. I, I don't think I've seen it before, at least not in a long, long time, of somebody getting their, their hand caught in the handle of the steps. But then, like, Cole throws the break here, and then they decide to stay with it, and it <laughs> yeah. felt really odd. It just kind of took me out of the whole experience. Yeah, I caught that. Cole threw the break, and they just kept going. Uh, Ruby Riot was bending the fingers, and she's yelling at Sasha that your friendship is a joke. And this prompted Banks to fire back with strikes, arm dragged out of the control, and then she hit this suicide dive that earned its name as she took out Sarah Logan. And Sasha scares me so much when she does this stuff. Then she gets onto the apron, and Liv Morgan just throws her down and crashes to the floor. It scares me too. Like, what if her lower back fuses with her pelvis? I was just saying, like, she's going to be broken Sasha Banks. Yeah. But the problem is just like I think she she's a great wrestler, really. Like she she knows how to do a lot and you can clearly tell she's a big fan of a lot of different styles of wrestling because I think you see her replicate a lot of those styles. But the problem is it's like uh I don't know if she has the build for a lot of these things. Like she 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 maybe needs to put on some mass. I'm I, I again I'm not a wrestler, I I can't give her advice, but it they do look scary, yes. She needs to chat with Nick Aldis. Yes, that's right. Learn the secret. And then she's rolled up by Ruby Riot, so she gets the win. Again, no no announcement of anything for SummerSlam. So as as of now, none of these five have any involvement on the show Sunday, which it is pretty telling way that you think of uh, the TakeOver Brooklyn shows, and <laughs> here we are on the main roster. And theoretically this weekend, there will be no Sasha Banks, no Bailey, and no Asuka. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, I'm sure, you know, they'll enjoy watching the shows. Um, Maybe they can be in the crowd at TakeOver. They could be. Yeah, I think having uh, Sasha and Bailey at Brooklyn is always a nice touch. Excuse me. It might, it might be a highlight of their weekend. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunately too soon, I think, to do this because I do wonder, like, how much they've changed direction with Sasha and Bailey over the course of the past year because... I think by all accounts, you would expect these two to have some type of role at SummerSlam. But the fact that they decided to pair these two together again, to me, suggests that they are trying, they're again going to peak them for a different show, um, which kind of sucks for them for SummerSlam. So after that, we had some photos of Seth Rollins in Shanghai. And then Angle and Corbin come out. This is for the final segment, the contract signing. And they're told there is no sign of Seth Rollins, and Baron is blaming Kurt for waiting until the last second to make the match official. Uh, they also aired the NXT TakeOver promo. I really like this promo because instead of just your typical WWE pay-per-view ad featuring action shots of all the major feuds... And memes. Oh, God. That, that SummerSlam awful. ad is so bad. It's awful. Ugh. And compared to this... 
Like this one, they take shots of all the past takeover events. So instead of just trying to sell you individual matches for this weekend, you're playing off the history of this event that people think of very fondly in mm. NXT takeover history. Do you and, think they'll ever get to a point where they no longer just call them takeovers and actually try to name like the events? They kind of do now. They kind of just attach the city name now to it. It's typically, you know, you have takeover war games, you have takeover Brooklyn, uh, and then, what, you know, the host city for WrestleMania. Run Brooklyn, Brooklyn next year. Um, they won't be running Brooklyn next year. Yeah. So, so what? Yeah, what you're right. They'll maybe have to come up with something else. Though they will have a takeover Brooklyn over WrestleMania weekend next year. But it wouldn't hold the same lineage as mm. this show. I'm, I assume that's what they'll call the WrestleMania one next year. Anyway, who cares? <laughs> NXT TakeOver, the Young Bucks and Cody. That's what uh, they'll call it. Wow. TakeOver Ring of Honor. Hmm. Uh, anyway, I really like this NXT promo. Okay. I think, and- I think some of these events you can play off the hit. Like, imagine just seeing like a quick uh, 60-second SummerSlam ad where you're just showing highlights of the past 30 years of SummerSlam. That's just... You're just selling SummerSlam. It's this historic event that has tons of history attached to it, and the latest one is this coming Sunday. It's a well, historic event in our history. They do it all the time for Mania. Like, Mania is their big show that they kind of really respect the history of by doing all that stuff. But all these other ones, you're right. Like, they don't. And I would certainly prefer that idea over what we have now. Yeah. I really like this takeover spot. Just very simple and made it feel, you know, important linking it to past takeover Brooklyn's. Okay, so final segment. Uh, Angle announces that Reigns will compete on Sunday, and he's not going to suspend or strip Brock Lesnar, as Kurt has apparently uh, assumed the Red Shoes level of um, liberties being taken. He says he wants Reigns to kick Lesnar's ass and bring the title to Raw every week. Brock Lesnar is the worst champion of all time. And then Jinder Mahal came out and said, excuse me, Dolphin, Drew McIntyre. I thought that was a really good joke. Oh, sorry. It was. Sorry. I'm just, it's just very late. And uh, I was uh, hoping to um, <laughs> wrap this thing up. That's all. Okay. I spent a lot of time talking about that takeover ad. Sorry. It's okay. All right. I just need some positive uh, reassurance. No, you're very funny, John. I try, to, I try to tell you that very often. So Ziggler and Drew McIntyre came out. Um, I completely transcribed Ziggler's promo, but I guess you don't want to hear no, that. No, I do. I do. No, I'm, ki- I'm I do, kidding. I did not transcribe this entire thing. Oh, I feel bad now. Uh, no, he cut a, a very... First of all, Drew cut a promo about ending complacency, stating we're actually fans of Seth Rollins because there's people in the back who get to Raw, and that's when the work begins. You can't coast when you get here, and that's why they respect Rollins, who worked hard every week, and made them have to work harder to prove they were better. This was a complete babyface promo from Drew McIntyre. Mm, it was bordering on babyface, but I, I, I could understand it. Like, it was bordering on babyface. It was certainly a lot more babyface than your typical pro wrestling heel promo. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. Like like we say all, all the time, the best villains are the ones that, you know, truly believe in, in that they are the good guys in their own story. And that's how this, I think, was supposed to come across, was Drew saying, you know, we're not necessarily bad guys. And Dolph here, too. They gave tremendous motivation for themselves and why they're acting this way now. 
it's because like you know seth where uh gave them the motivation to work harder and therefore now rollins can't feel like he can stack up with the two of them so i enjoy this type of you know uh i don't even want to really call it a tweener but like uh motivation from a heel that you could buy then ziggler takes over and he just cuts the audience apart calling them fickle they forget and says that they all love when seth burns it down but they also used to love when he stole the show but it all means nothing the second you fans feel the slightest bit disappointed you turn your back you did it to me you're gonna turn on rollins you'll turn on the next guy and the next guy and the next guy where were you during the hard times and now he's got someone who truly has his back in drew mcintyre who pushes him and they don't care about stealing the show they took the whole damn thing over. And then Ziggler signs the contract. I don't know what he was signing here. I guess what do you mean? I guess the contract. Well, he's signing it, but it's like what are you if if the match is null and void, then what does it matter if he signs it? Well, didn't wasn't there something that said like if he signs it um and Seth doesn't There must then, have been a point. So then it's a forfeit win for Ziggler, I guess. Right. Was his explanation. Was that what he said? So by signing it, he's making the match official, but it doesn't have both signatures, so it's not completely official. But Ziggler will win by default because he's done his end of the bargain, I guess. Sure. This is weird WWE legal maneuvering. Like, what, what, what's mm-hmm. the time limit on this? When does a match become unofficial? I guess when Raw goes off the air. Yeah. Um Maybe that's why. Should. That's why they call it the go home show. Yeah. Because if you have not signed your contract, you can go home. We need David Bixen fan to, I think, dig into this. Case. Yes. So he signs it, and then Seth Rollins' music plays, and the first sign that something was not quite right here. Seth comes out in his gear after his busy travel day, and then he apologizes that everyone had to sit through Ziggler's therapy session, and then he explains that. He's actually been here for quite a while. I guess he's been hiding. And he wanted to wait until the contract was signed so that Ziggler cannot get out of it because the travel issues were not his travel issues. And he mentions the clause about having someone in his corner and says, if you have the Scottish psychopath, which I guess is what they're calling Drew now, I ought to have a lunatic in mine. And then Dean Ambrose came out. New look. Shaved head, beard. Thank God he shaved that head. Oh man, dude, has there was... ever has have you? Can you recall a guy walking out in recent memory? Baron Corbin. That, no, that didn't just scream heel like Dean Ambrose did. If this guy's not a heel what? within a week, well, I thought you were going to talk about his hair, but uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I didn't exactly get that vibe, like just because oh. of the shaved head. I thought this guy, just his entire demeanor, everything. He's always like that. Uh, I, I thought this was a greatly needed refresh on Definitely. Dean Ambrose. Definitely. And he, he looks better with the shaved head. Like, to me, he, he looks like more of a main eventer this way. Oh, I, that's exactly what I'm trying to convey here. Like, yeah. he had a presence about him. He's gotten into better shape significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Brock also looks like that's a guy that's training um, as well, uh, based on his physique. And, yeah, came out, they cleared 
cleared house here in the ring, attacking Drew and Ziggler, and hit a dirty deeds to McIntyre. Rollins signed the contract, and then just for away, after so many months apart, the two fisted in the middle of the ring. Oh, yes. It was such a good fisting. I really enjoyed all this. I like the show long tease of it uh, because they, you know, like some of those backstage segments were like, uh, you know, let's get on with it. But the payoff was very strong. So I don't really have an issue with it overall. I thought Dolph was fantastic here with his show closing promo. Like he and Drew, I thought, were giving great reasons why they are heels now. I thought the content was wonderful. And it felt like in the end, like a main event worthy promo. So, uh Big, uh, great job there. Uh, and I think the, the the return of Ambrose is something that they've been teasing for a long time now with this uh, uh, angle. And they finally delivered, and this crowd more than reacted for it. Interesting to note that they had Renee completely sit back for this thing. She, did she didn't not. say a thing. Yeah. She did not. Yeah, and I thought that was very smart. Because I think anything she would have said would have kind of taken you out of this. Yeah. I really like the idea that he's in his corner and not in a match. I really hope that he's turning, and it doesn't have to be this Sunday, but I really hope that's where he gets to. I would be very disappointed if Dean falls back and is the same character in four months' time, um, yeah. that he's really got a freshness that he desperately needed. Like this, That's the silver lining of an injury, is that you get to go away, people miss you, and he was smart enough to you know, change up his look, come back, and just do something different. That's what... Every guy should do when they're gone for a long time. Just do something different. And he just felt like he had main event presence coming out at the end. And I think he could be a top heel on on Raw. He is who I would feature in the uh, shampoo with a brain ad next week. God, uh, He does quite look like Triple H now, actually. If he's talking next to a meatball sub next week, that's a bad move. Wow. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I mean, I certainly feel like, you know, anytime uh, somebody like a Dean Ambrose arrives, he's going to get a huge baby face reaction. So I say you run with that, have these two team together against McIntyre and Ziggler for a, a few weeks, maybe even a month. And so much so, you know, until the point that 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 turn really becomes very effective. So I, I would bank on that. There is an argument to keeping him in this role for at least a month or two, because mm-hmm. Roman winning that title, they're going to be fighting from underneath to try and uh, get this guy across as a babyface. that aligning him with these two coming out of SummerSlam might not be the worst idea of having, um, having the shield unit together that mm-hmm. Roman's got this title and he's got his backup now as well. And it can set something up down the road where Dean can be an opponent for Roman at some point as well. Yeah. A lot of possibilities. I think you could do those, that match with Roman, that match with Rollins, all for big shows, you know, and coming back, I think at SummerSlam is, is, is very good timing to build all the way up to WrestleMania. What do you think this show was way on a scale of zero to 10? I go, I go seven on this show, man. I enjoyed this show. It was a good show. One of the better Raws in, in, in a long, long time, especially compared to some of the, you know, sub five Raws that I feel like we've been subjected to for so often. So I go, I'm going to go 7.5. 5.5. What? Oh my god, you guys. Listen, there's still there's still the middle of Raw that can be tough for a lot of people to get through. You also didn't have your big hot Rollins match on this show. You didn't really get like a big match on this show. So that might have forced the show to drag for some people. Yes. I, I, I thought it started off really well and it ended very well. And I, I think the key SummerSlam programs on Raw um, 
they did a pretty good job with the Roman angle with Lesnar. I think that came off well as well. They're they're still doomed for that reaction on Sunday, but I mean, God, they they have put everything into this Roman push for Sunday with Lesnar. I love knowing like when whenever like our message board has differing opinions from us after we've just done a whole review of it because uh i think it's important to really get all the different opinions that are out there so let's hear you guys explain yourselves brandon from oshawa says renee suffers from the same problem i felt she had during her nxt commentary she says oh too much other than that she was all right much better than the coach but i still prefer prefer booker he's always good for a laugh sometimes the Heyman roman brock stuff actually lowered my excitement for the match I felt they had done a good job the last couple of weeks to pique my interest. They were heading in the right direction, right up until Heyman sprayed Roman in the eyes. I really hope there's something more here. I don't want to just see Heyman back with Brock for a week. Roman wins, and that's it. I'm hoping Heyman is playing Brock, and that Owens will win the money in the bank, join up with Heyman, and walk out as the champion. We go to Andrew, who says, It was an okay show tonight. It was nice to see Dean Ambrose keeping up with the tradition of so many Scott Putzky winners. I guess the biggest news coming out of tonight was Renee being on commentary, and I thought she did okay. She wasn't a blow-away performer, but she at least sounded competent. One issue I'm having is it feels like Renee and Corey are doing commentary with their dad. Renee and Corey have good chemistry, but their dad is with them and completely out of touch. Anyway, I hope she continues, but honestly, it just makes me want to see Renee and Corey by themselves more than anything. Decent show tonight? 5 out of 10. <laughs> Kids, I want to see that sitcom. Yeah, me and your mother are going out. You guys can call Raw. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Jay from Colorado. As a standalone edition of Raw, this was not too bad, especially when compared to the last few months. But as a go-home show, I can't say I'm any more excited for SummerSlam than I was last week. Although, my God, what a breath of fresh air Renee Young is on commentary. Literally the first time in a month I didn't switch to the Spanish commentary after the first hour. Dean Ambrose with a shaved head and added mass is weird. He looks really off, and it's unsettling as all fuck and makes me think a heel turn is imminent. I think I'm digging it. That's a lot of contradictions he was going through. The last two weeks of Raw have definitely been improvements. While it's too little too late for SummerSlam, it makes me a little more hopeful for the state of the post-SummerSlam Raw scene. Man, I thought I would start to really hate Raw after watching all that G1, but man, it, it, I, it, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm very overly positive about this show for some reason. Okay, we're going to Eric in Miami who says, I just saw this link at around 3 a.m. Eastern. A Hollywood trade website, The Wrap, which I think broke the SmackDown 2 Fox story, reported that Dean would come back tonight. Did WWE leak this to pop a rating? And can you see them doing this in the future with other returns that might get a bigger number? They have done it in the past, like on their own. Well, yeah. Obviously, they would announce it on their own shows. Yeah, I, I don't know if if that was their uh, what they they did or not. But I th- I always find with surprises it is good to kind of dangle it out there so people have a hint that it might occur without actually being a hundred percent that something's going to happen i think you want people to expect surprises when they come so that they're not completely um out of left field in certain situations um for this one i i I have no idea if they did that or not i it's very unlike wwe to just give away something to that extent that a big return is coming because they go to so many lengths to try and keep stuff quiet when they have stuff like this. Like go look at the extent they went to with the Hardys at WrestleMania, or even when they're doing Seth Rollins return uh, when he was injured and they hide these guys from everybody. They're just so scared of any of this stuff getting out that I don't know if they were just uh, 
open it up and throw it out there for for a number. Yeah, I don't. I also don't know if the rap would have been their first choice. And if you know, post, post wrestling, clearly, I think would have been <laughs> the place they would have went to. No, we. Uh, I, I don't think they would be reaching out to uh, the wrestling media. Let us continue here with Sean from Toronto. I don't really get the point of teasing an angle with Paul Heyman that will culminate at SummerSlam, only to immediately reveal it will be a ruse. I can't wait until this feed's over. It's amazing what a beard and crew cut can do to make Dean Ambrose look that much more tough. Perfect for the inevitable heel turn. I'm happy Jim Neidhart got a video package, especially since he was never directly involved with WWE for two decades. And he asks about the Hart Foundation going into the Hall of Fame next year, which... Uh, sure, you could do it. The thing was, like, Bret Hart was really pushing this year for them to go in because he knew Jim Neidhart was going through a lot of health issues. So, I mean, in hindsight, this past year probably would have been the year to do it and was the year, you know, Bret was kind of pushing for them to do it. Mm-hmm. We got an MJ who says, Renee on commentary is much better than coach on any or any third generic male. I enjoy the contrast of Corey's smug heel character as she's pure babyface, and Cole is a straight play-by-play guy. I could get used to this. Bill and Alex from Orlando. Okay, show. We always like Alexa's work and look forward to that match on Sunday. We are kind of so-so on how we feel about Ronda winning the title so quickly. We didn't like the Roman Heyman Lesnar angle. It seemed to have disrupted the momentum they had going into SummerSlam. We did like the Dolph Seth angle that ended the show and brought Dean back into the mix. Thanks for all the shows coming up this week and the G1 over the past week. It's That's too a- bad. I mean, Alex was a week off from seeing Dean Ambrose return. Yes, but. that's right. Oh, well. Next time. Mark from Vaughn, I went into the show rooting for Renee to have a great outing, and she was much better than Coach. It was just nice to get rid of that roasting dynamic that would distract from the product. I think she could have, she could be very good in the role if given a consistent run. Question, do you feel the SummerSlam will be as by the numbers as the card looks on paper? I just don't like that there are so many hot programs going on, which is surprising for the second biggest show of the year. There are, I just don't feel like there are many. Yeah. Um, well, keep in mind, there's always that money in the bank cash in that I think a lot of people might expect that could offer a big element of surprise to close the show. And they could always, you know, um, have somebody win something or that they weren't expected to win. I think all the key matches will be booked pretty pretty effectively and I think overall you're going to get some some really good stuff on the show but it's going to be a long show there's going to be some stuff mm-hmm. that just is a real chore to get through it's going to be a very long show on Sunday and I think that's that's consistent with most WWE pay-per-views that you hope that they'll have a strong ending but some of the middle of these pay-per-views it's just it's just a lot it's just a lot to sit through and some of it when you have for instance, a Finn Balor, Baron Corbin that are out there for 12 minutes. That's a long time on a show this long. Chris from Melbourne. Firstly, Renee was great tonight. Cannot wait to hear more of her. Yes, she may have a few first night jitters, but she is so much better than Coachman. It's not funny. Secondly, by the end of Raw, I felt neither excitement or expectation for SummerSlam. Maybe it's the realization that eight of the 14 advertised matches are rematches in some form over the past year, or maybe the fact I've just spent the last month watching the amazing matches from the G1. Sad to see another legend of professional wrestling pass away. Rest in peace, Anvil. We go to Joe from H-Town, who says, I thought it was a difficult spot to put Ronda in to open the show. Maybe she volunteered. 
Very sad to see these guys we grew up watching die so young. Hey guys, if you were pepper sprayed and someone was beating you up, are you just going to take it? Or would you swing like a wild man? Just asking. Um... Oh, if I got maced that many times in the eye, I wouldn't be doing anything. I'd be yeah. worried my retina's burning off. If it I'd was Brock, blind. yeah, I don't know what swing Wildly would do. Um, let's skip down here. Uh, Renee on the team was good. Don't think she'll be a main fixture for a while, but it was nice to have her there, and she certainly more than earned her spot. Heyman's performance tonight was better than last week, in my opinion. Speaking Samoan was just great. Like everyone else, I just want this over and done with, but I'm still holding out hope for a turn at SummerSlam, but I'll be happy enough with Lesnar out of the picture. What did you guys think of Stone Cold Dean Ambrose? Looks like he's ripe for a heel turn. McIntyre is surely headed for a main event spot after SummerSlam. And my God, how incredible was Dolph's hair tonight? It was, oh, uh, it was luscious. Yeah, it was something else. Yeah. I think the fact that so many people are expecting heel turn tells me that they should really drag this thing out. Like, not too long, of course, but I think they will simply to play with the audience's expectations. Let's do one more. Okay, we got a dicky from B- Brisbane. <laughs> Renee Young replacing Coachman was the biggest commentary improvement since Tr- Chris Charlton replaced Django. Also, Dean Ambrose looked like Tomohiro Ishii. I think he found Brock Lesnar's missing muscle mass backstage. Really looking forward to SummerSlam. Of course, I won't be watching, but your show should be good. Thanks for taking a bullet. Wow. Well, there you go. The the newest uh, commentators out there, Renee Young and Chris Charlton, mm-hmm. vying for everyone's approval. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for the feedback. This has been a lengthy show. We're going to uh, wind it down, say good night or good morning, wherever you are in the world, whenever you're listening to this show. Uh, We will be back on Tuesday night with Rewind to SmackDown. Way and I will go through Tuesday night's show and then preview SummerSlam. And on top of that, we've got the double shot. If you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you can go sign up now. You will get the double shot. You'll get Rewind Away on Friday, and you can go back and listen to our entire archive of bonus shows. So go check that out, and way Up next this week, they're giving away a TakeOver ticket. So uh, do, do listen to that if you have the means of getting to Brooklyn. There you go. No sleep till Brooklyn. That is it. Goodbye.